Number four, along that same train of thought, Peter, the Bible says, being filled with the Holy Ghost, stood up in a multitude and said, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone, referring to Jesus Christ, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is the church. Jesus Christ is the church. He is the head of this body, the ministry of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the man of Jesus. He is the rock upon which the church is built. Colossians, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are under heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Listen to this church. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is why we gathered tonight. He is the reason we are here. It's all about Jesus Christ. He is the head of this body. He is the cornerstone of this church. He is the God of the ages. He is the life of who we are. So I have a question. If the church is really all about Jesus, and I believe that it is, that's why I started that way, then who are we? Why are we here? What are we doing tonight? What are we accomplishing by gathering in this place? Jesus Christ is our head. Who are we? Stand, if you will. 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. We're going to start in verse number 3 and read through verse number 10. The Bible says, If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious. Our pastor preached on that portion of scripture about a month or so ago. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Verse number eight, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Listen to verse number nine. It's gonna kind of be our text tonight. But ye... You and I, the church of the living God, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people 
that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's read together verse number nine, if you will, nine and ten. Can you lift your voice and read it together? Here we go. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You can have a seat. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand, Lord, in such a sacred place. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you more specifically, God, than just the building and the structure. Thank you for the people that have gathered in this place. Lord, I need your power. I need your spirit. I need your unction. I need your authority. God, because in my ability left to myself, I can't challenge, transform, or change, Lord, our minds or our hearts tonight. But I believe, God, that your church, your people have gathered in this place to be challenged, to be changed, not by me, but by your word, your truth. So, Spirit of God, would you move among us tonight? Take the bread of heaven and break it open in our lives. May we see, comprehend, and understand the reality of who we are, who you died to make us. Challenge us, God. Change us. We're thankful for all that you've done, God, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to look tonight, 1 Peter 2 and verse number 9. We're going to use that kind of as our text, 1 Peter 2, 9. We're going to jump right into it tonight. The Bible says, but ye are a chosen generation. We are a people. The church of God is a people. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus Christ is the bedrock and foundation of everything we know and understand. But that is the foundation, Christ. We are the church built and assembled on that foundation. Peter explained it this way in verse number nine. You are a chosen generation. I looked that word up, chosen. Eclectos, the best way I know how to pronounce it, that's the the Greek word there, and it literally means this. Chosen means selected, or by implication, it means the favorite. It carries with it the idea of intentionality, meaning that we were specifically viewed by God. We were his choice. God chose us to be his Body. It's not an accident that we're here tonight. It's not an accident that you're at Calvary Baptist Church tonight. This is by the grand design of God. He brought you here. He called you here. He separated you apart. He pulled you out from the world. He chose you and he chose me to be his body. Turn, if you will, Galatians chapter number three. Turn over to the book of Galatians chapter number three. Galatians chapter number three, verse number 26. Galatians 3, 26. Galatians 3, 26. The Bible says this, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
Listen to what he says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What that's telling us is that we are a chosen people, that God, long before any of us were ever created, had a design and a purpose and plan. And he set that plan in motion by sending Jesus Christ into the world to hang between heaven and earth and offer redemption to anyone who would place their faith in him. And if you're here tonight, having believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are the choice of God. You are the church of God. You are God's choice. We are a chosen generation. Look back at Peter, a chosen generation. That's not where it stops, though. That's our first point. We are a chosen people. But it says this, a royal priesthood and holy nation. A royal priesthood and holy nation. We are not only a chosen people by God, but we are a changed people. I'm thankful tonight that we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. By the work of Jesus Christ, we have been changed. We were chosen by God, changed through the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, having covered and washed all of our sins into the depths of his forgetfulness. We stand today changed, renewed, and restored as the church of God. Turn, if you will, to Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter number 19. Flip over to your Old Testament. Exodus chapter number 19. We're talking about being a changed people. Exodus 19 and verse number 6. This is what the Bible says. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Look back at verse number 5. Exodus 19 verse number 5. It's a prophecy concerning what God would do in the future. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Verse number six, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was the prophecy in the book of Exodus about God, what God was going to do in the future. Now flip to the end of your Bible, Revelation chapter number one. We see at the very beginning of the Bible that God promises that he would bring a people. He would separate a group of people. He would change a group of people. And he would set them apart for his name, for his glory, for his fame, for his use. A distinct people designed by God to be used to impact the world. That was the prophecy. That was the promise. Who are those people? Revelation chapter number 1. Revelation chapter number 1. Verse number five and six, the Bible says this. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever 
and ever. In the beginning, we see the prophecy and the promise. In the book of Revelation, we see it fulfilled. He has made us kings and priests. We are kings and priests. We are a peculiar people. We are set apart. We are priests together with God. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. But it doesn't stop there. We're chosen. We're changed. Number three, we are cherished. We are cherished. Verse number nine says, a peculiar people. The word peculiar means a special reservation. And then it means this, literally, belonging to a person, listen to this church, and to that person only. It means we are exclusively Jesus Christ. When we chose him because he chose us and he changed us, the relationship that we have now is one that God cherishes and we should cherish as well. We are peculiar, not weird and odd in our actions. Peculiar, distinctly different, absolutely separate from the rest of the world. Not because we're better, not because we're higher, but because God has chosen us. God has changed us and God cherishes us, his church, his bride, his people. To drive this point home, turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter number five. Ephesians chapter number five. I want you to see this. The idea of a cherished people, a cherished relationship and an intimacy. Ephesians chapter number five. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he's trying to explain the nature of the home. He's talking about marriage and he's talking about the relationship between man and his wife, a very intimate relationship. The beautiful thing about the marriage relationship between male and female is that it is a distinct picture of the relationship of Christ and his church. So as we're talking about being a cherished people, as we're talking about being a peculiar people, a people that is separate from the world, distinct, not because we're better, not because we do anything that makes us different, but because God himself has set us apart. What, what is that really about? Look at Ephesians chapter number five. This is really powerful. Verse number 22, Ephesians 5 Verse number 22. Again, it's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives and talking about how the man is the head and the wife is the helpmeet. And it starts in verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Verse number 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now listen to this though, 27. The reason he sanctifies it, the reason he cleanses it, the reason he chose us, the reason he changed us was to present us Present us to himself, 27, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. 
I took you there to talk about the union, the intimacy between what we have. And there, we understand that, the relationship between male and female. I love Hannah. She's a blessing to my life. We are one. We are united under Christ with each other. Hopefully, that marriage will last through the rest of our days until we pass off the scene and enter eternity. It is the relationship that I cherish more than any other relationship on this side of eternity, other than the relationship that I I have with my Savior. Hannah is the closest person in my life. I would die for her. I would give my life for her. Do you, do you understand? That's what Jesus is saying to us. You are peculiar tonight, not because you are good, not because you are great. You are peculiar because He is good and He is great. He has chosen you. He has changed you and He cherishes you as you cherish your bride as you cherish men the love that you hold with your spouse the father in Jesus Christ cherishes his church so much so that he was willing to give himself for it and that's what we're called to do as men love our wives as Christ loved the church we give women a, a hard time a lot of times as men about submitting. And I dare say that the man has the much higher responsibility and role. I'm not diminishing the, the difficulty at times for a female to, to find the humility of mind to be able to submit when she doesn't always agree. But man, men, we're called to love as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it, served continually. What a wonderful, glorious example we have in Jesus Christ the lover of our souls. He cherishes you tonight. If you've ever wondered if you're valuable, if you've ever wondered if you're worthy, if you've ever wondered if you're worth it, I just came here tonight to let us all know, remind us all that we are chosen of God. We are changed by the grace and the goodness of God. We are a cherished people tonight. Who we are determines what we are. Our union with Christ makes us the church. It is in Christ that we're able to accomplish anything that we do. I think about those portions of scripture. He's the vine and we are the branches. We can't accomplish anything as branches apart from the vine. He is everything, all that I need. Our unity and union with him makes us profitable. We are the body, the physical aspect of the church. We are the bride, the mystical aspect of the church. We are the building, the spiritual aspect of the church. You and I are the church of God. He has called us. He has changed us. And he cherishes us tonight. Turn, if you will, to one more place, Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter number two. I'm going to talk, we're talking about the church tonight, Revelation chapter number two. Revelation chapter number two, and we're going to look at verse number one. We're talking about the church, and we're going to use the church at Ephesus as a little bit of an example. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, the end of chapter number one, he says, I am the first and the last. 
I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of hell and death. And then he tells John, write these things down. I want to communicate to my church, Jesus Christ, like we started. He is high, he is lifted up. He has dominion in this place. He spoke everything into existence. He is the chief cornerstone of all that we know and understand. We are his body. We are his bride. We are his building. We are the people of God. But look at what he communicates to that church. Verse number one, chapter two of Revelation. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that beholdeth the seven stars in the right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. This is what he says to that church, verse number two. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Verse number three, he's continuing to commend them. And has borne and has patience. And from number four, you have labored and has not fainted. Verse number four, Jesus speaking to his church, his body. Nevertheless, what against thee? Because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou quickly and remove and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. What we find here in the book of Revelation is Jesus speaking to John about his church. Seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation. We looked at the first one, chapter number two, the church at Ephesus. Paul had planted this church on a missionary journey. He had preached the gospel. These people had responded in faith. So Jesus commenting about this church, he says, you are doing a great job. You are standing for the truth of God. You are changing your corner of the world. I commend you. I commend you seven different ways. Jesus commended, encouraged, was thankful for this church, but he didn't stop there. But I have somewhat against thee. You, in your stand... You, you lost something. You left your first love. This church was fruitful, but maybe not focused. They had their facts straight. That's what he said. He said, literally, there were people who came in over and over and over again. Paul communicates to younger men of God, beware of false teachers. Beware, beware, beware. Hold true to the faith of God. So it's not a bad thing to test the doctrines of God. And that's what they were doing. In Ephesus, people were coming in, specifically people who claimed to be apostles. And they were saying and teaching and doing wicked things in the name of Jesus Christ. We can get into all that, but it's not necessary. The point is they were wrong. And the church at Ephesus stood up and said, that's wrong. You have no place here. Get out. And they, they were holding high the banner of truth. And for that, they were commended. But in their stand, in their attention to the facts, they had lost their fervor. And I want to say this. It's easy in our PC day, our politically correct age, of fact-checking and our cancel culture to lose our focus as the church of God. 
I found myself during 2020 wrestling with questions that I didn't know the answer to, thinking about issues in our culture that I didn't know how to respond with and and questioning and trying to pour over the Word of God and and having conversations with people about how I should be and and what I should be. And you know what? Eventually I found out there's a lot of room for growth. There's a lot of room for, for improvement in my personal life. But It's so interesting that as I searched for the answer, I found time and time and time and time and time again that the answer that I needed was not yes or no. It was not black or white. It was not right or left. It was not blue or red. It was Jesus Christ. For in him, there is truth. In him, there is life. And I think just like the church at Ephesus. If we're not careful in our day in an attempt to hold true to the good moral things, we can lose our focus. And instead of engaging with the world, we are in opposition to the world. I'm not saying embrace their ideology. I'm not saying embrace their sin, but I'm saying the commission of God has not changed. Go ye into all the world with what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. We as the church of God don't need to know every answer to every question. Jesus Christ is the answer to every question. May he be ever on our lips. May he be always in our hearts, transforming our minds, renewing our souls. We don't have to always know what's right and what's wrong. Jesus actually said that we would be known among the world by our love. And herein is love. Sorry, church, but Jesus said it. Not that we love God, but that God loved us. It's not about how good we're doing. It's not about how many questions we get right on the Christian exam 101. It's not about how many Bible verses we can quote. It's about how much of our heart is consecrated to Jesus Christ. It's about how passionate we are about his face, about how long we tarry on our knees in prayer. It's not about engagement and speaking and always saying the silver tones. It's about speaking the truth of Jesus Christ, the foolishness of the world. The wise say it's foolishness. The learned men say it's crazy, but God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those which perish. We as the body of Christ have one mission. We have one motive. We have one message, and it is not to always be right. It's to preach Jesus. He is always right. We are the body. We are chosen of God. We are changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are cherished. But lastly, we are commissioned. First Peter chapter number two. Go back there if you will. This is our last point. First Peter chapter number two. And verse number nine, but ye are a chosen generation. Chosen, chosen. I want to take a moment for all the young people and just say, don't let anybody tell you that the world is too dark for your light to shine. Don't let anybody tell you that the secular universities have a a corner on the market and your voice can't be heard. You are a chosen generation. 
You are handpicked by God like a lightning bolt to pierce the darkness of this day. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with us. We are chosen by God. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are changed. We are priests and kings with God. We have been translated from darkness into light. Sin has no more bearing on our life. We are victorious tonight, not because we are perfect, because He is perfect. We are chosen. We are changed. We are cherished. We cannot fathom the love of God. Oh, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God. The deepest sea can't contain His love. The farthest reach of the galaxy can't explain His love. We are cherished. Oh, may we understand how cherished we are of God. How loved, how accepted, how right in His sight. It will change our walk when we understand how cherished we are. But it doesn't stop there. Chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. So why did he do all that? Why would he leave heaven? Why would he leave the splendors of heaven? Why would he leave the golden city? Why would he leave millions upon millions upon billions of shouts of angelic praises to come and be spat upon, mocked, rejected, a crown of thorns, not in praise, but of mockery, be pressed into his brow, only to march up a hill where he should have been crowned and be crucified. Why would he do that? Why would he come and endure the affliction and the agony of Calvary? He did it because there is a commission. Go ye into all the world and preach this gospel. Peter said it this way. He did all that, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He chose you. He chose me. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your name is. I don't care how old you are or how young you are, how rich you are or how poor you are, how educated or uneducated you are. Oh, I don't think we grasp this. You are chosen of God. You are his express choice. You are his favorite. You are his design. You are what he wants. When he got you, he didn't get second best and think, bummer, I wanted the guy other than him. No, he got you. You're who he wanted, Lee. You're who he wanted. He wanted you on his team. Brother Mike, you're who he wanted. I'm who he wanted. Miss Sandra, you're who he wanted. We're not a second choice. We're not second string. We're not riding the bench. We are on God's team. We are chosen. We are changed. We are cherished. We are commissioned. He did all that so that we would show forth the praises That we would take who we are, remember who we are, determines what we are. Who we are, understanding that we're chosen of God. 
Understanding that, oh no, I actually can be victorious today because He is alive in my heart. The enemy has lost its grip on me. Every chain is broken. Every stronghold has been cast down. And I can walk in that victory today. I am His and He is mine. I am changed from the inside out. I am cherished by God. What shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall persecution? Shall COVID-19? Shall famine? Shall the loss of a job? Shall a marriage ending? Shall a child leaving home? No, nothing. Yea, in these things we are more than conquerors because he loved us. You are chosen, church. You are chosen. Say it together. I am chosen. Say it one more time. I am chosen. I am changed. I am changed. I am cherished. I am cherished. And we are commissioned. Romans 1.16, Paul, someone who understood this truth. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Again, not you and I. <laughs> the gospel is the power, not us. We are inadequate. We are unworthy. We are incapable. We are prone to failure. Yes, we're chosen. Yes, we're changed. Yes, we're cherished. But God didn't exactly get a great deal when he got us. I'm glad we're on his team. But the power doesn't lie in us. It lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what does, in conclusion, a living church actually look like? If Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, if everything that he's ever done from speaking the worlds into existence to creating the tiniest little atom that exists in your human body and everything in between, if, if that God, the one who sits in the heavens and laughs at the wicked men who try to work their evil plans. Oh, we got so bothered and so worked up over what was going on in our world. And God was in heaven saying, it's under control. I'm the king of the ages and I've chosen you for such a time as this. I've changed you from the inside out. You are cherished beyond measure and I am going to take this team, this church, this people, you at Calvary Baptist Church and I am going to commission you to go into the darkness, into the world, to people that we don't agree with, to people that we don't understand, and take them the only message that can change. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The time for fact-checking and cancel culture is over. The church of the living God needs to rise up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. What does that look like in our lives, though? Powerful portion of scripture. Turn with me to Mark 16. Mark 16. Awesome. Jesus, Mark 16 is the last chapter of the book of Mark. Mark 16, last chapter of the book of Mark. 
Jesus has died. He has been in the grave for three days now. It's very dark for the church. It's a very confusing time. It's a very difficult hour. It's a very frustrating time. Everything that they thought they knew about Jesus Christ, his kingdom, and how it would unfold is being changed in front of their eyes, and they don't understand. The king of kings that they had placed their faith in, the Messiah, the the chosen one of God who's going to save us all, did not save them all, or so they thought, because they thought he was going to build up an earthly kingdom, and he did not. Because his kingdom is not made of, of rocks and stone and mortar. It's built of people. And they didn't quite understand that yet. 16, verse number 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and mother, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? Verse number four. I just ran across this the other day in a way I never had. And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. I don't know about y'all. I've considered the commission of God. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at times, I've felt like Jonah. God, I don't. I'm not sure that I'm capable and maybe more than just not capable. I'm not sure that I want to. I'm not sure that I want to put myself out there and engage in a public way and in a public forum with a culture that is so bent on destruction. And that's that's sort of where the church was. Rome had taken over the region. They had been under tyranny. Jesus comes onto the scene. I'm going to deliver you all, perform miracles and many wonderful things. And they think that this kingdom's going to be built. Rome's going to be annihilated. And it doesn't happen. Jesus dies. Even though he told them that's what was going to happen, they just didn't understand. Their minds were dark. So here come some of the female followers of Jesus really early on that third morning. And they're talking amongst themselves. And they literally said, they questioned among themselves, who's going to roll the stone away? Who's going to take the stone so that we can go anoint the body of Jesus? And then they turn the corner and they realize the stone's already been rolled away. I want to proclaim to the church tonight, Calvary Baptist Church of Union Grove, North Carolina. I know it's dark. I know it's difficult. I know right now our faith may be small and limited. But there is a God who has already rolled the stone away. Let's turn the corner and look this world that is bent for hell in the face and say, I have the truth. And that may not be the answer that you're looking for. And I may not be be able to give you the exact answer to your specific question. But I have a message for every person, everywhere. And it is Jesus Christ. They turned the corner and they saw that the stone had been rolled away. So then he tells them this. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but go your way. Seven, verse number seven. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There's another little nugget. The places we're afraid to go, the places we don't want to go, the places we tell God we're not going to go, he's already there. And he is working before we ever arrive to pave the way for his word. The gospel, it is the power of God. It is our commission. 
But these people weren't having it. So these ladies, they go back and they tell these disciples, verse number 11, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, what does it say right there, church? They believed not. They believed not. So an in-person encounter of the resurrected Lord, these three women who go running back like Jesus told them to and say, look, look, you, you tell these disciples that I'm not here. They got angels spoke to them literally and said, go tell the disciples that I'm alive. And so they did that, and the disciples did not believe. Did not believe. After that, he appeared, verse number 12, in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. That's the road to Emmaus. Two disciples leave that group after already hearing and then not believing. So they're like, okay, we're just going to go back home or, or whatever they're going to do. And they walk eight and a half miles back to their home. And about halfway there, Jesus steps out and they don't know that it's him. And he starts communicating with them. Why are you sad and why is your countenance fallen? What's wrong with you? Do you not understand? Jesus, our Messiah, the healer, the deliverer, the king, he's dead. And they talk and they talk. And Jesus started at Moses and the prophets and explained to them and opened their understanding he lit all of the light bulbs off at the same time and told them, it's all about me. There is nothing that an evil world can do to stop the power and the plan of God. He is always in control, and that's what he told those two disciples. Well, when they get home, he breaks bread, and they realize, oh, it's him. They start dancing and shouting and running around and praising God, and they run all the way back eight and a half miles, and they tell the disciples, and what happens? They don't believe them either. I'm going somewhere, so stick with me. Verse number 14 so after that, after that group of people in the upper room has been told twice that Jesus is alive, after that, he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So Jesus shows up onto the scene and he literally upbraids them, meaning he scolded them straight up. He got up in their face and said, what is wrong with you? He challenged them and said, I sent, I mean, what, just faith is out the door. I sent two different groups of people to tell you I'm in control. And you didn't believe them. But see, there's a difference between I can't take credit for this. I heard this. I think it was Warren Wiersbe the other day. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. And in this moment, the disciples were choosing not to believe. They had heard. And I think they could logically begin to reason, oh, maybe it is possible. But instead of have faith, they hardened their hearts. And that's why Jesus, the loving, kind, gracious, meek shepherd, scolded them. Because his followers had hardened their hearts. They had chosen in this moment to not believe. It's literally what it says, 14. After he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and upbraided them with their unbelief, Hardness of heart, listen to this church, because they believed not. They had a choice to lift their eyes to heaven and say, God, I don't understand it. I don't see it. I don't comprehend it. But you are the God of the ages. And in this moment, I will trust you. They had that opportunity and they chose not to believe. 
But I said all of that to say this. I want everybody to read 15 together with me. Luke or Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. Everybody together. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I read that the other day and I literally wanted to go do what? Like you're going to tell me that these people who've been following you around for three and a half years and you told them like 10 or 12 times that you would die and then you would come back on the third day. So you're three of those women who heard that show up on the third day and there's angels glowing in the heavens and they're saying, he's alive. He did what he said he was going to do. The stone's already gone. He's victorious just like he told you. Why don't you run back and tell the boys that they need to get their act together? So they do and they tell them and they say, no, we're ticked off at Jesus. We don't understand Jesus. It seems to my understanding that he's off his throne, that he's lost control because sometimes God does things that we can't comprehend. And that's what was happening here. I'm not belittling the disciples. Oh, in my heart for the last 500 days, I've looked up into the heavens at times and said, God, I'm not sure about what you're doing. Are you off your throne? Have you lost control? I was right where these people were. Why did I say this? Why are we here? Because it's those very people, the ones who had literally chosen not to believe, had hardened their heart against the good grace of God and had said, no, no, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to preach. I don't want to fight anymore. What does Jesus say? Commission. You, you fearful, you unbelieving, you ungrateful, you unthankful, you church of the living God in 2021, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. It's our commission today. It was their commission then. That commission is not to good people. It's people who are chosen. People who are changed, people who are cherished, not perfect people. So if you're wrestling today about being the body of Christ and trying to navigate your life and not sure about how bold and charismatic you're going to get in such an uncertain time about preaching Jesus, just understand that you can join the club. Everybody over here on Jesus' team that's wrapped in humanity struggles with fear and struggles with doubt. But we can in this moment just say, I'm going to move forward like Noah God came and God told him it's gonna rain and he was like dude what what's rain I I don't know the Bible says he he moved with fear oh he was afraid he wasn't sure he was confused and perplexed but he moved and it's time oh it's time for the church of the living God to move again I know our ministries might look different I know things are going to change I know the time is challenging but the commission still remains you are chosen of God you are a changed people you are cherished beyond measure go ye into all the world and preach the gospel Last portion of scripture and we'll be done. Flip to Romans. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. So if the church of God is chosen, changed, cherished, and then commissioned, 
with the greatest news that has ever been delivered. And it's not hinging or dependent upon us, only our ability or willingness to carry it. It is the power of God. I'm thankful it didn't depend on those disciples because they were in an upper room afraid like I have been so many times. But the commission remains, go ye, you fearful ones. Go ye, you afraid ones. Go ye, oh ye of little faith. You, you, (laughs) my team, go into the world and preach my gospel because my gospel is the power of God. Romans 12. This is going to be our conclusion. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what is the church? Is it a building, a physical building made with metal and wood and concrete? Or is it a spiritual building erected, yes, on a rock, a very solid foundation, but a person, Jesus Christ? Is it a bride, a group of people so united, so in love, so impassioned, that they don't have to win every argument. They don't have to know every answer. They're not out to win arguments. They're they're out to win people. It's the commission of God. What is the church? A, A body, a literal, breathing, walking, talking body. Like, yeah, like really, flesh and bone. Yeah, like like you and me, like us like tomorrow when we go to our job. The church just walked into the job. Like when we go home, when we lay our heads at night to rest, the church just went to sleep. It's a literal, physical body. Jesus Christ himself is not here. He is in here. We are here. We are his body. So what does it look like if we're actually going to be commissioned. If we're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel, in closing, I understand that we're not all going to be missionaries. We're not all going to literally, physically take our bodies and carry the actual gospel to the unknown regions of the world. Oh, I, I, I'm not shortchanging at all that there could be someone. I'm not going to say young person because sometimes that irks me. It could be an older person who feels the call of God on their life to take it. But it could be a young person in here who's, who's battling with thoughts of, of insecurity and not sure how they're going to navigate life. And they're being pulled this direction and that direction. And if they're not careful, they're going to be ensnared and entangled by, the, by Satan, the enemy of their soul. But Jesus stepped onto the scene tonight using a messenger, using a man to say he's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. He's got a commission for your life. Maybe you could take it, but I understand not everybody will. It's not the perfect will of God for everybody. So what is the perfect will of God? Romans 12, 
1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And we're not going to take the time to go through it, but read it tonight. Read it in the morning. Romans 12, keep reading. That's to the individual, 1 and 2. The rest of the chapter is to the body, not, not you, this body. What, what my, to my understanding, what that means is if we are going to be a commissioned church, if we are going to be a church who stands on the authority of Jesus Christ, speaks light into the darkness, is not afraid, but is filled with faith and is actually moving forward, not retracting. If we're going to be that church, here's what has to happen. Everybody gives their body for the body. I'm going to say it again. Every body gives their body for the body. We don't have time tonight to dig into a lot of the teaching and instruction about what does the church actually look like? What is the body of Christ? There are members in particular. Each of us is distinct and different. There are diversities of callings and gifts and it's a whole wonderful truth that we can understand that'll open up our understanding about how God does what he does in the world. But here's really sums it up. You're a chosen person tonight. I know the world tells you and maybe you've had voices your whole life who've spoken into your life and said, you are nothing, you are nobody, you'll never amount to anything, you are less than, you're not enough, you're not strong, you're not powerful, you can't, he don't, she won't. Maybe that's all you've ever heard. But I came tonight not from my heart to say, that's right, yes, that's right. He says, that's a lie. I chose you. You were the one I wanted. I picked you. It was with intention. Oh, oh yeah, I know they've always said that you ain't never gonna. That's why I chose you, because you're never gonna. But with my strength in you, I'm gonna make something out of you that you could have never been without me. You are chosen tonight from the first pew to the last. We are the choice of God. And he don't make bad choices. He chose you to change you. Let him do his work. He cherishes you and cherishes me. We are commissioned of God to carry this gospel to the world. How do we do that? How's the body of Christ be the body of Christ? How do we take our body and become the body so that his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven? What does that look like? Every body. Everybody, every single one of us, giving their body. Maybe it's an old body. Maybe it's frail. Maybe your best years are behind you. But if you're still breathing, you have a body. And he wants it. Maybe you're nine years old or 14 years old or 19 years old, and you think you've got 50 years of strength and power, guess what? He wants your body. Oh, I don't have anything to give him. Yes, you do. 
He has perfectly created you, called you, equipped you, and enabled you. Every single body giving their body for the body. That chapter that we read, Romans 12, ends this way. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. It starts with, I beseech you therefore, brethren, church of the living God, for 11 chapters I've explained how good and righteous and holy and great his redemption is. So now, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, church at Rome, I plead with you, church in Union Grove, present your bodies a living, a living sacrifice, not a dead, dried up animal and slit the throat and shed blood. No, 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 no. That, that, that's old and gone. A living sacrifice. Breathing, walking, talking, living. A living sacrifice. Everybody giving their body for the body. And if we will do that, guess what? Guess what? We won't be overcome of evil. But this church will overcome evil with good. In this world, it's a promise from our Savior. You will have tribulation. I'm not up here trying to paint a rosy picture. It's going to be difficult. Any preacher that tells you otherwise is not telling you the whole truth. It's going to be difficult. Following him means carrying a cross. Crosses are heavy. Crosses are bloody. Crosses are painful. But but guess what happens after crosses? Empty tombs. Empty tombs. Be of good cheer, church. He's already overcome the world. Father, thank you for the privilege to be able to preach your word. Thank you for the opportunity, God, that we have to be the church of the living God. Thank you, thank you that you have called us, that it's not an accident that we're here. You have chosen us by design to be a part of your family, to be a part of your church. There is a position here. There is a place here. You are good. You are God. We love you tonight. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me on your feet tonight? I don't know about y'all, but it's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I was very, very challenged by my own preaching. Very challenged by the content tonight because essentially what I preached was, let's all personally own the Great Commission. Let's understand that Yeah, the world's dark, but we're the light of the world. And a city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. But so many of us, because of fear, like the disciples, or just plain stubbornness, we are cowering in insecurity and doubt and saying, God, I don't think you can use me. Or maybe I just don't want to be used. I want to coast on in. I came here tonight to challenge the church. I came here tonight to challenge you. I came here tonight to challenge me. For us all to look above the afflictions, affairs, and circumstances of the world around us. Not be fighting and grumbling and bickering about the state of society. 
but be engaging with it. <laughs>